There are days when I think my voice is just a small whale in a sea of noise, in a sea filled by Citizens United. To say that the scale was tipped in favor of the rich is not just inaccurate. It misses the point by orders of magnitude. The tipping of a scale means that measurement is possible. When billionaires can fund hundreds of millions of dollars on advertisements, the scale has been swept away by a tsunami of money. My feeble voice is lost as a single drop in this ocean. Voting was once the province only of men. That's the male gender of only of property. But wait, there's more in terms of restrictions. It's white men of property. In many cases, the property was in other human beings. Now, despite these restrictions, some of them could understand the wider issues and see a farther horizon. One of these men, perhaps one who reveled in the delights of female slaves more than most, could see enough to declare, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The reason he could see that horizon was that he was what he perceived as the oppression from a distant power, the tyrant King George III. Jefferson, as entitled a man as ever strode upon the earth, could see oppression and wrap himself within it, frankly, for his own purposes, in part. His turn of phrase, actually a paraphrase from John Locke, became a foundational statement of the American Revol Revolution and ultimately of the United States. But Jefferson's words belied the reality of his time, even though it excluded half of humanity, men only, and probably all of those enslaved by virtue of their condition. The idea of equality of rights became a touch point in American culture and politics. From that point on, whenever those rights were limited, the people doing the limiting were in conflict with the American ideal. In a real way, all our politics, all our history, has been dealing with this self-evident truth, usually in its breach. First with slavery and the three-fifths compromise that literally divided humanity into a fraction. After that, a series of struggles over new states entering the Union as free or slave, sometimes resulting in compromise, eventually in violence. Despite John Kelly's false notions of the cause of the Civil War, it was slavery that fueled that bloody struggle. In fact, the greatest bloodbath in American history. Fundamentally, though, that conflict was over the self-evident truth. We could not resolve it through persuasion. The idea of holding property in human beings was too strong to release, and the notion of literally buying the slaves to free them was quite beyond the reach of the people at the time. The radical reconstruction of 150 years ago was an attempt to begin righting a long-standing wrong by registering former slaves as voters. Okay, just men. Opening schools to teach the three R's and begin to walk the path to the self-evident truth. But the road was long and difficult, and there was a backlash in the Black Codes and Jim Crow that managed to undo most of the progress. No longer considered property, the former slaves and their children were cast into economic servitude through an exploitative system of sharecropping, 
where they never got out of debt. As in slavery, the only escape was to flee, a route only a few could take. And those that did reach northern cities had to face the endemic racism of their time. Jim Crow may not have been enshrined in northern states' laws like it was in the South, but the racism that fueled that crow was alive and kicking in the North. For more than a century, race riot meant whites attacking peaceful blacks in northern cities. But what about the self-evident truth? Jim Crow and, and his successors pretty much segregated the black community and subjugated it into a subservient status. And even while that was happening, there was, however, another movement, this time by the other half of the population, to secure women's rights to vote. Not equality in anything beyond voting, although there were some that talked about that. In essence, it was an effort to basically say, in American society, if you cannot vote, then you have no redress of grievances, you have no way to make your voice heard, people can routinely ignore you and make your condition everlasting in its current state. Many women, and a few men, banded together to be able to agitate for the vote for women. This was not just in the United States, but in the UK and elsewhere as well. All of this culminated in the 20th Amendment to the Constitution that allowed for women to vote in elections for the first time. Did this mean a wholesale change? Well, no, because the women who did vote lived in a society where they had grown up with certain social mores and they were not organized in a way that allowed them to actively seek to change things, to address issues such as the inequality of pay, the cultural limitations of putting women into certain classes of occupations. And certainly, none of them were able to successfully agitate for things like childcare and improved condition of mothers and their babies and eventually their children. These are ideas that came to fruit later. And usually the fruit was bitter because the men who dominated the political system, and they were white men, did not see the world in that same way. They didn't really embrace the self-evident truth now expanded to include women. And so there was no sensitivity to plight of women until it could not be ignored, but that was only in certain times and places. During World War II, with so many men enlisted or drafted into the armed forces, there weren't enough bodies to do the work of America to win the war, to build all of the weapons and airplanes and ships. Women were brought into the workforce in large numbers for the first time, and because they were women, particularly younger women of childbearing years, they, in some cases, had babies. And some employers realized in order to keep their workforce going, they needed to provide benefits such as on-site child care. And this was the time when health insurance, based on employment, was also introduced in America, but not as a point of equality, not as fulfilling the self-evident truth, but rather because they couldn't raise wages because that was outlawed. So they added benefits in order to attract people to this or that employer. But World War II had an even wider impact socially and politically. Because of the war emergency, women and black Americans were pulled into not just the factories, but also into the armed services. Usually these black men were segregated into all black units. But they experienced 
the wider world, they were in the service of the self-evident truth, as was proclaimed so often in posters and movies, radio plays, and the like. And when they came home, after having soldiered throughout Europe and Asia, where they learned to fight with weaponry that was the most advanced in the world, where they achieved a measure of recognition, even though it was small and subservient to that of whites, they came home with a different attitude, a different set of expectations. A war that had been fought against the Nazi form of racism was now won, but they were at home and being subjected to the same types of Jim Crow that had persisted throughout. And this was when, after World War II, there was a, a rash of lynchings in the American South in some cases where the victim was still in uniform after having been mustered out of service. But the self-evident truth was crushed once again. Women were returned to the home. They were restricted to household duties. While they had enjoyed that momentary bit of economic freedom and liberation, they now were the ones who were part of the post-war baby boom. This was my mother's experience. My mother's life at this time was in the 1950s and into the early 60s was not an easy one. Her marriage was in trouble because of the entitled approach to marriage that my father lived. She eventually decided she needed to leave to get divorced, to find a job, and to take the three children from the marriage and have them live with her. This happened in fits and starts, and she was only able to get employment as a waitress or a teacher waitressing while she went to school to get her teacher certificate and then teaching school in a nearby community because as a divorced woman she would be suspect in her hometown. I grew up in this environment of a woman-led household where yes my mother still held on to some old-fashioned beliefs but I was able to see the internal contradiction and the denial of the self-evident truth in my own life and in my own family. And as the civil rights movement heated up, particularly in the 1960s, particularly in northern cities, we lived in northern Illinois at the time, she participated in that effort, inviting civil rights workers who are home for dinner. And this was part of a experience that I had that allowed me to see the world a little differently than before and to understand what was happening in the 60s, particularly now newly named race riots in Watts and elsewhere throughout the 1960s, exploding into a crescendo of violence in 1968 after the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. The self-evident truth was the thing that people kept referring to, even if they didn't necessarily do so explicitly. It was around. It was in the air. And there was an assertion that in order for America to live up to this ideal, it needed to change its laws, it changed its practices. And so the Civil Rights Act of 1965 affirmed the right to vote and that any effort to restrict that would be deemed illegal and the people would be punished and the wrong would be righted. It is significant that a few years ago, parts of that act were in effect repealed by the Supreme Court. In the wake of Citizens United and with the ascendancy of a generation of conservative justices who truly did not embrace the widening definition of the self-evident truth, were able to strike down enforcement provisions of the Civil Rights Act, in essence doing the bidding of those people with property and with atavistic attitudes toward, toward voting rights, particularly by black people. 
sometimes when you're traveling you can't pick your partners your fellow travelers may be going along the same road as you are but you can't necessarily choose them but you are moving in the same direction Citizens United resulted in a combination of fellow travelers that included very conservative business interests but also very conservative social and cultural movements and people on the far religious right in order to roll back things that they saw as a degeneration of America from a place where free white and 21 with the addition of man entitled someone to a particular place in society and a particular place in the power structure. All of these movements, whether anti-slavery, civil rights, women's suffrage, feminism, all of these they saw as a decline from the their version of the self-evident truth. But that truth lived on and inspired other people to say it was a good beginning and it needed expansion and that expansion needed to be enshrined in law, governed by custom and hopefully eventually changing of attitudes. Once again, we are in such a struggle where the people who have a different and much more limited version of the self-evident truth are in the ascendant. In fact, it is no longer a simple political continuum from right to left. We've made a fork in the road as a country. The people in charge are going in a different direction, mostly backwards. And the concern I have is that they will once again undo our progress to that self-evident truth, and they will undo generations of effort.